Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a sermon series called God Is. In this series, we're learning who God is and how he wants to relate to us. Thanks for joining us. Well, it is good to be with you this morning. Uh, We are in a series called Our God Is. We're looking at the names of God that we see throughout Scripture and the stories that help us understand those names. Uh, And so what we're doing is we're trying to understand who God is, his character, and therefore how he wants to relate to us. So if you would, uh, if you're following along the notes, grab the message notes. And uh, here's, here's the first line. It's our series sentence. Our goal in this series is to know who God is and how he wants to relate to us. Know who God is and how he wants to relate to us. Today, we come to the idea of peace. Now, when I thought about this word, uh, a phrase went through my head. I just want five minutes peace. Can anybody relate? So a couple Wednesdays ago, I was with my boys. We've got two boys, four and two, and uh, they love to play with trains. And so we've got a space, and they often build some trains. Well, a couple Wednesdays ago, they both woke up on the wrong side of the bed. Like, it just started the day off way wrong. Um, I've got a picture. This is typically how it looks when they're playing with their trains. I mean, just stuff everywhere. So in this, they're playing, and then they start fighting because they can't share together. So I'm crawling and stepping on trains, trying to separate these two boys, and I'm just like, ah, I just want peace, right? Well, thinking about that desire for five minutes peace, (laughs) peace seems elusive. I think we all seek it. We all want peace, but man, it seems so hard to come by. And one of the things that I've been realizing is as I thought about peace, um, typically the strategy for me is to escape. Like, I'm just trying to get a break. I'm trying to disconnect, like, separate myself from these fighting boys, right? So I can just have five minutes peace. Sometimes, though, I will try to distract, whether myself or them. Like, just, oh, it's okay, let's go focus on this instead of this. Or other times, I'll just try to impose peace. You will get along, right? (laughs) We're working for peace. We're seeking it, but it seems elusive. So if you're, if you're following along, I think this is probably true for all of us. We seek peace in life, but it's elusive. We seek peace in life, but it seems elusive. God has been teaching me the last couple of weeks as I've been preparing this message, um, and what he's been doing in me is redefining what peace actually is. The thing that I thought it was was this sense, this feeling of calmness, tranquility, right? Like, okay, I can be at peace, take a breather, right? I've learned that it's actually not simply that. It includes that, but peace is so much bigger. And what I hope that this message is going to do for us is it's going to help us redefine what peace is and how we have it. Because trying to get at peace, we can't escape the circumstances. We can't try to distract. We can't try to force it. But rather, we need to be retaught what peace is. And when that happens, these moments of desiring five minutes peace, we'll be able to navigate those better. But then we'll also be able to navigate these harder moments. These moments when you're being told that you're going to lose your job because they don't think you can cut it anymore. 
Or the, the relationship you have with your parents is so strained, is it even worth it to try and pursue that anymore? Or the doctors, they've tried everything. Nothing seems to be working. And it feels like it's only a matter of time. Peace? Where is peace in that? I hope that the Lord will show you we can have peace in those moments, but it's different than we might expect. So to begin, would you join me in a word of prayer as we tackle this together? God, thank you so much that you are with us. And Lord, teach us today what peace is all about. Open our eyes, change our hearts and minds. We trust you for that, God. It's in your name. Amen. If you would, turn to Judges chapter 6. Grab your Bibles. Turn to Judges chapter 6. We're going to look at the story of Gideon. If you don't have a Bible with you, you can find these in the seat racks in front of you. Just go ahead and grab one of these. And if you don't own one, take this with you. We want you to walk out with a copy of the Bible because we think it's that important. So this is our gift to you. Please take that. You can see the page number on the screen if you're using that Bible. So the story of Gideon... The, the people of Israel, they've taken possession of the land. They've been living there for a long time now, but they're not at peace. Their status, the how life is working for them, is not peaceful. So we get in verse 1, these words, The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Midian was another nation. They had come in, and they oppressed Israel. The, the rest of those verses talk about how Midian is like a swarm of locusts. There's so many of them, and they come, and they just ravage the land. They're taking over everything. They eat the crops. There's nothing left for Israel. And Israel is forced to hide in caves. They abandon their homes, and they're hiding. They are not at peace. And so what do they do? They cry out to the Lord. They know what it's like to be not at peace, to have this lack. And so they cry out to the Lord. And so we get in verse 7, the Lord's reply, what he, his response is. When Israel, the Israelites cried out to the Lord because of Midian, he sent them a prophet who said, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I brought you up out of Egypt out of the land of slavery. I rescued you from the hands of the Egyptians. I delivered you from the hands of your oppressors. I drove them out before you and gave their land to you. Then I said to you, I am the Lord your God. Do not worship the gods of the Amorites in whose land you live. But you have not listened to me. You have not listened to me. The Israelites, they've turned away from God and they've begun to go their own way and going their own way, they hit face first into Midian and they're oppressed. So if you're following along in the notes, the Israelites did not follow the Lord and lost the peace that they had. And so they turned in, they cry out to him and God shows up and he says, this is not the problem that you think it is. See, he comes in and says, you see a political problem, which it is, but there's something deeper going on here. 
This is a spiritual matter. So if you're following along in the notes, the lack of peace is primarily a spiritual matter. It's a spiritual matter. Israel was worshiping other gods. They turned from from Yahweh and they begun to follow these other gods and that is what led them to this place of peacelessness, of chaos. And so when they cry out to him, he's like, you've done it to yourselves. This is a spiritual issue. And it's right here that we begin to see the shift that's starting to take place about peace. When I think about peace and having five minutes of it, I'm looking at my surroundings. I'm looking at my circumstances. But God wants to say, no, this is bigger than that. It's a spiritual thing. And that's where reorientation begins. We need to be thinking spiritually. But God um, sets up a tension here because he says, here's the problem. But he doesn't talk about a solution. So what's he going to do to address this issue? Well, let's keep reading in verse 11. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Ophrah, belonging to Joash the Abiazrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a winepress to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Mighty warrior. This is an ironic statement. So what Gideon is doing God shows up to him, and he's threshing wheat. Now, what you do in threshing wheat, you harvest it from the ground, you put it in a big pile, and you take something like a pitchfork, and you just start throwing it up in the air. And the idea is that you've got a strong wind that's blowing all of the excess stuff, like the chaff and the stalk, because you just want the grain, the seed. So the seed, which is heavy, is just going to fall to the ground, and the wind's going to blow all the extra stuff away. Well, what's happening here is Gideon is doing this in a wine press. A wine press is enclosed. There's not a strong wind blowing. This is a really fruitless labor. He's going and there's nothing probably happening. What we see here is Gideon is afraid. He is afraid of the Midianites. He is a fearful person. He doesn't want to go out and do it out in the open. A mighty warrior would. Rather, Gideon, he's enclosed. He's hiding. This is who God goes to. And this is unexpected. Typically, when we think about peace, how do we get peace when we seek it? We're looking for five steps to have a more clean schedule, right? We're looking to how to have peace. We look for human solutions. But God wants to turn that on its head. We're looking for strong and successful kinds of approaches. Gideon does not capture that. He's weak. He even says so later in the conversation. Like, I'm the weakest of my family in the weakest clan. Like, I I should not be the one to deliver Israel. But God goes to him. And to further see how Gideon plays this out, he's testing God in all this. He's not sure. So he's like, okay, God, let me go prepare a sacrifice. Can I do that? God lets him. And so then we pick up in verse 20. The angel of God said to him, take the meat and the unleavened bread and place them on this rock and pour out the broth. Gideon did so. The angel of the Lord touched the meat and the unleavened bread with the tip of the staff that was in his hand. Fire flared up from the rock, consuming the meat and the bread. And the angel of the Lord disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he exclaimed, Alas, 
sovereign Lord, I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace. Do not be afraid, you will not die. When Gideon realized that he was face to face with God, another idea went across his, his head immediately. Anybody who sees God face to face will not survive. Because God is so good, he's so pure, he's so good, that anything that is not as good will not survive his presence. It's like a fire. And Gideon realizes this. He's like, I'm about to die. But God's grace shows up and he says, peace. You are not gonna die. God grants him grace in that moment. Where there should have been death, God speaks life. And so what does Gideon do? Verse 24, he builds an altar. So Gideon built an altar to the Lord there and calls it, the Lord is peace. To this day, it stands in Ophrah of the Abiasrites. See, Gideon realized there was something significant that was happening. And he built an altar. And an altar is a way that people would remember. They'd build a pile of rocks, and every time they'd walk by it, every time they'd see it, they'd say, I remember when. That's what Gideon wanted to do because this was such a significant moment. God had restored the relationship that Gideon had with him. So if you're following along in the notes, Gideon builds an altar and calls it Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is peace. He builds an altar and calls it Yahweh Shalom, the Lord is peace. Gideon is this unexpected character, somebody who you wouldn't think would be leading Israel, yet God goes to him and speaks peace, speaks life to him and restores relationship with him. And so here we finally get the clue to how peace happens. It starts with God. It starts with God. God is the source of peace. You see, when, when God shows up, death should have happened. Gideon was supposed to die. He's impure. He's unclean. He's, he's not good. He's a sinful person, just like all of us. And we can't be in God's presence. Yet God speaks grace and peace to him. And so peace starts in a restored relationship with God. If you're following along in the notes, peace starts with a restored relationship with God. This all happens not because, again, Gideon was good, he did anything to warrant it, but rather it was God's grace. It all came from him. And I think it's because he knew what he was going to do thousands of years later. Jesus would show up on the scene years and years after Gideon had walked the earth. And Jesus would do something that was foreshadowed in what happened with Gideon. Jesus would come and he would bring peace to all peoples. He would show up and open the door for anyone to approach God. It was through his death that then he takes our place. Gideon was supposed to die. But Jesus comes in and says, no, I'm going to die in your place. And it's through his death and then his resurrection that is a seal for peace, restored relationship. This all happened because of what Jesus would do. Gideon gets a foretaste of that in this moment. 
God is able to speak peace because of Jesus. Romans 5 talks about this. It talks about how Jesus has shown up and given us the way forward. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Jesus brings peace. That's what he came to do. So if you're following along in the notes, Jesus inaugurates peace through his death and resurrection. Jesus came to bring peace. That's what Gideon tasted initially. So he builds an altar to remember that. But that's not all that happens. In the rest of our story from verses 25 through 32, God shows up again and he says, Gideon, I want you to do something. You and I, we have peace. But I'm not at peace with the rest of the community. So I want you to go and I want you to tear down the idol worship. Tear down the Baal altars and the Asherah poles. I want you to get rid of all of that. I want you to build an altar to me because the community needs to be in right relationship with me too. So Gideon does. He does so at night because he's afraid. He's afraid of the community and and they show up the next day and they're like, what happened? What's going on here? They were angry. But Gideon did it at night because he was afraid. But he did it. He did it. And he had begun to step into the proclamation over his life, the peace that now exists. God could say, you are a mighty warrior. He wasn't suddenly, instantly a mighty warrior. No, he's still pretty fearful. But he began to walk this process where he was trusting in God. And we see that play out in the rest of his story. But what happens when we experience peace with God is it can't stay here with us it overflows to the people around us. It overflows to the community. And that's what God wants to do. And all of this is because of what Jesus has done. So we've been talking about this idea of peace, but we haven't defined it yet, and that was, that was intentional. I think we needed to see some of these ideas first before we could really grasp at what peace is. In the text... Gideon calls um, God Yahweh Shalom. Shalom is the word for peace. And it is a very loaded word. It doesn't simply mean calmness or tranquility, but it has a broader meaning. So if you're following along in the notes, here's what Shalom means. Shalom is wholeness. It's flourishing. It's harmony. The way things are supposed to be. Wholeness, flourishing harmony, the way things are supposed to be. When God created the world, he said it's good. Things are working as they're meant to. Everything is as it should be. But then things broke. And suddenly evil, hate, death exist. And how we feel that, we feel that with racism. We feel that with storms in life. We feel these moments where things are not as they should be. Death, disease, sickness, crying. These are all not right. But God says, I don't want the world to exist that way. I want to begin to build it back towards shalom. 
to restore things as they're meant to be, wholeness, where well-being is, is elevated, where life thrives, where things coexist well. And that's what Jesus came to inaugurate. And when Jesus comes back, he's gonna finish the job. When he shows up again, shalom will be how this world works. Things will be at peace. Things will flourish. Things will be as they're meant to be. And so this whole thing has been building to this one idea. And this is the idea of the message. And I want you to walk out with this in clarity. So the big idea of the message, if you're following along, peace with God brings peace to life. Peace with God, restored relationship with God, brings peace into our lives. It comes alive and it flows out of us. Now, this idea of peace, this idea of shalom, is a really big idea. And so I want to do something different this morning. Um, I want us to be able to see it, to picture it in our mind's eye, to be able to feel it to some degree. So I'm going to invite a couple members of our worship team. Um, We're going to lead you in a spoken word. And what they're going to do is we're going to present some images to you. We're going to paint a picture of where the world is going, what shalom will look like when Jesus comes back. And what I want you to do in these moments is to reflect on these images. Let them soak into you. Picture what the world is going to be like. And I want you to feel it. I want you to imagine shalom. Shalom. True peace. It's a rightness of things. It's an absence of wrong things. It's the way things are supposed to be, not the way things are. It's not having to walk through your neighborhood in fear because of your skin color, wondering who could be around the corner. No. It's like a neighborhood barbecue where the streets are filled with color and everyone feels like they fit. It's not a workplace where people are willing to throw their coworkers under the bus, but a workplace where praise is passed freely around the table. It's eliminating danger from our schools so the doors can remain unlocked and children can actually talk to strangers. It's like a family donating money to provide clean water. But even better, it's no one ever having to thirst again. Shalom. True peace. It's not having to watch your daughter struggle for each breath in a hospital room, but seeing her out of breath from laughing so hard and not ever having to step foot in a hospital again. It's not the waters raging into a tsunami and wiping out a city, but it's all of creation being made whole and the threat of natural disaster neutralized. It's a spine straightened with surgery, but even better, it's a whole body restored and able to dance. It's not a silent orphanage because the babies have learned that crying is useless. No, it is constantly being welcomed with open arms and no child ever needing to cry again. There will be no need for doctors, police officers, or border control. 
and there will be no need for guilt or fear. It's shame being done away with so completely that you won't even remember what it felt like. It's believing, really believing that God chose you, that you delight Him. It's no barrier between you and the Most High God. Rather, it's resting in His presence and realizing this is where I belong. Shalom. Lord, we long for this. Let us taste it. This is shalom. This is where the world is going. This is the way things are supposed to be. This is the promise of God. I don't know where it is right now that you feel like you don't have shalom. You don't have peace. Because we don't live in that world yet, do we? We don't live in a world where things are working as they're meant to. There's brokenness. But God gives us a measure of that right now. He gives us a measure of his shalom. We can't step into it fully just yet, but we can have a measure of it right now. How do we do that? What does that look like? I want to give you a couple key ideas and then I want to paint a picture that hopefully will help us. Remember, this whole thing is built on the idea that peace with God brings peace to life. So if you're following along in the notes, the first element, it's turn to Jesus as the prince of peace. Turn to Jesus as the prince of peace. The Bible calls him the prince of peace. He gives him that, that title, that label. We are to turn to him. He is the source of peace. He is the one who offers peace and gives us a restored relationship. It comes from him. So we turn to him. John chapter 16, Jesus is talking to his disciples. He's about ready to leave this world. And we get these words. I've told you these things that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. It is with him that we can have peace. Now notice the passage. It doesn't say you will be free of trouble. We'll have trouble, but we can have peace in the midst of it because Jesus is the one who grants it and changes us from the inside. That's what happens with Gideon. He was granted peace and, and it changed who he was. He began to step into the, the good news of who Jesus had named him to be. So we turn to Jesus I don't know how you do that for me. It's coming to the Bible. It's spending time in prayer. It's doing disciplines like solitude. It's spending time with Jesus. That's how we turn to him. And we develop that practice so that when the hard moments come, that's our default reaction. We go to him. Turn to Jesus. Number two, the second element is remember. If you're following along in the notes, remember what he has done and promises to do. Remember what he has done and promises to do. When we turn to him, we have access to the person who grants peace. And that comes primarily when we remember. That's what Gideon did. It's a key, key concept here. He remembered by building an altar. 
God had done this for me and he promises to do these things for me and in me and through me. So he built an altar to remember. What's that for you? What practices can you adopt that help you to remember? Maybe it's scripture memorization. You memorize promises of God that you can take with you every day of life. Or maybe you write something on a sticky note and put it on your bathroom mirror. What I do, some of the things that's really helpful for me is I create a reminder on my phone that goes off the same time every morning with a promise or some kind of declaration about who God is. Whatever it is to help you remember, that will be so key as we navigate the complexities of life. And what this all points us to is that peace is not simply just a feeling. It includes a feeling, but it's rather a reorientation. It's stepping into this state, uh, this reality of rightness with God and rightness in things. That is what shalom is. It is a reality. And so we no longer begin to look at our circumstances, but rather we turn to Jesus and we remember And that changes our perspective. We don't allow then our circumstances to dictate how we respond. But we we are able then to trust him, stand on his promises regardless of what comes. And what that does in us is it cultivates hope. And hope leads to contentment. So if you're following along, the third element is hope leads to contentment and experiencing peace. Hope leads to contentment and experiencing peace. This is what happens to us when we turn to Jesus, when we begin to remember we're able to choose contentment. The hard moments are going to come. They're going to be there. But if we're able to not allow them to dictate to us how we respond, but if we're able to trust God, knowing where things are going, shalom, we can walk in peace. And then we will have that feeling of peace, that calmness, that tranquility that we often look for. When we're pursuing peace, getting that feeling, we do so by trying to escape, we try to distract, or we try to force it. Rather, we're to turn to Jesus, to trust him and remember that will stir contentment in our hearts. Uh, a couple weeks ago, my wife and I, we were sitting on our porch. We had put the boys down for bed, and, and then the, the sun was setting, and a storm rolled in. And we were sitting on our porch, and the storm was coming from the back of the house, so the wind was blowing that way. But all of a sudden, we just saw rain coming around us. Wind was blowing. Lightning was flashing. Yet we could sit on our porch in our rocking chairs in the safety that God had provided. And that porch is just what he provides us. That's what his arms do to us when the storms of life come. We can sit in contentment, knowing how things are going to go. The storm is going to go away. So we don't try to run from it. We don't try to distract ourselves from it. But rather, we're able to sit in contentment, in peace. So I don't know what it is for you. As you think about these moments where there is just absence of peace, where you feel everything is is out of order and out of whack. How do you turn to Jesus? How do you remember? How do you trust him for contentment? How it looks is if if you hear a diagnosis, there's nothing more that we can do. 
It's only a matter of time. We can choose to respond with contentment. That doesn't mean it's not easy. <laughs> it doesn't mean it, it, things are going to go smoothly. It doesn't mean that we're not going to feel those feelings of anger, frustration, fear. But those things will not control us. I experienced that personally. My sister was dying. I watched her, and it was hard. She was scared, I could tell, but at the same time, she knew how this was going to play out. She could trust in the Lord how this was going to go. Shalom, peace. She knew that was the end result, and that shaped her choices, her actions. We can do the same. And maybe it's those moments where you just want five minutes peace from your kids. <laughs> Sometimes we got to separate our kids and we're going to step on toys and it's going to hurt, but we can choose to see the joy in playing with toys and getting on the ground. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's hard. It doesn't mean the storm's gone away, but we can see the value in the moment. That is what God wants to give us. Peace with God brings peace to life. But the final thing I want to share with you is that it doesn't stay with us. And so the last line of the notes is this. We are called to share and build peace with others. In the same way that Gideon didn't let it stay with him and affected the community around him, we're called to do the same. When we are able to live at peace, we can share that with other people. We can build peace in relationships, in society. We can work against racism and injustice. We can build shalom because we know that's where everything is going. We're called to do that. We're called to live at peace with God and with one another and build it in the world around us. Peace with God brings peace to life. We're going to take the next few minutes and I want you to be mindful. What is it that feels like is out of whack in life? Where is there absence of peace? This time is a time of prayer and song that's going to remind us to turn to Jesus. I want you to be thinking on these moments, thinking what is it that, that is a barrier for me? And how do you hear God say shalom to you? We want to take the time to do that because peace with God brings peace to life. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.